1: This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben DiBiase, filling in for Ben Brotmarkle. Coming up on the program, the 30th annual Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities is being held this week in Eatonville.
2: We say that uh, Zora Neale Hurston and the Eatonville community are two sides of the same hand.
1: We'll discuss Hurston's newly published work, Barracoon.
3: Whenever the publishers um, demanded that she change it, she refused, and so it wasn't published for 87 years until recently.
1: And we'll talk about new research on Hurston being done at Rollins College. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers.
3: This song is called "Shove It Over,"
4: and it's a line and rhythm pretty generally distributed all over Florida. It was sung to me by Charlie Jones on a railroad construction camp near Lakeland, Florida. Uh Uh, that I gathered that in thirty three, nineteen thirty three. <coughs> when I get in the Illinois noise, I'm going to spread the news about the Florida boys. Shove it over, hey hey hey! Can't you lie it? Oh, shackle, like a lack a lack a like <coughs> a like Can't you move it? Hey hey! hey can't you try?
0: In the 1930s and 40s, writer, folklorist, and anthropologist Zora Neale Hurston was a celebrated figure of the Harlem Renaissance. Hurston is best remembered for her 1937 novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God, the story of Janie Crawford and her attempts at self-realization. Hurston's other novels include Jonas Gordvine, the story of an unfaithful man with an understanding wife, Moses, Man of the Mountain, a retelling of the biblical story of Moses, and Seraph on the Swanee, Hurston's only book that features white people as main characters. As an anthropologist who studied under the renowned Franz Boas, Hurston published two collections of folklore, Mules and Men and Tell My Horse. Hurston also wrote dozens of short stories, essays, and dramatic works. In 1948, Hurston's reputation and career were destroyed by false accusations that almost drove her to suicide. By the time Hurston died in 1960, she was broke, forgotten, and her books were out of print. Today, Zora Neale Hurston is again recognized as an important 20th century writer. Her work is taught in high school and college classes around the world, and two annual festivals celebrate her achievements. The Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities is held in Eatonville during the last week of January, and ZoraFest is held in Fort Pierce in March. Zora Neale Hurston grew up in Eatonville, Florida, the oldest incorporated town entirely governed by African Americans. N.Y. Nethere is founding director of the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community and the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities.
2: For Zora Neale Hurston, Eatonville represents the uh, quintessential um, cultural impact that people of African ancestry, particularly rural southern uh, people in this country, um, contribute to the culture of the of the United States and because she grew up in Eatonville an all-black community where there was not artificial um, lens of of viewing people as she says in, in Mules and Men uh, you got in Eatonville you got what your what your strengths brought you uh, if you were an energetic, uh, aggressive, um, productive person, then that's who you were. Uh, If you were a lazy, no count, uh, ne'er do well, that's who you were and you couldn't use as an excuse what they or the outside society uh, did to you or against you. And at the same time, um, as as a trained observer, Uh, as a person who had studied under Dr. Franz Boas, uh, a father of of American Anthropology, as a person who uh, had access to her native village and that community, she recognized the beauty, the intrinsic beauty, of, of the people of her heritage group. And not only recognized that beauty, but was able to present it in a way that others can recognize it, Uh, perhaps not so much during her lifetime with her contemporaries in Harlem, uh, some of whom thought that she was entirely too folksy, but the point is that uh, work that is truly of merit lives and Today, um, Zora Neale Hurston's work, her literature, her genius is acknowledged and celebrated uh, throughout the literary world.
0: Zora Neale Hurston's literary career began even before she graduated from Barnard College in 1927. In 1925, Hurston's short story Spunk was included in a respected anthology called The New Negro. While attending college in New York, Hurston worked with Harlem Renaissance contemporaries, including Langston Hughes and Wallace Thurman, on the literary magazine Fire. After earning her Bachelor of Arts degree in Anthropology, Hurston continued her graduate studies at Columbia University. In 1929, Hurston moved to the quiet town of O'Galley in Brevard County, Florida, to write her first and most important collection of African American folklore. Florence M. Turcott is literary manuscripts archivist at the University of Florida.
5: Zora came to O'Galley in um, April of 1929 and she her goal was to find a little place where she could she could write and she could have peace and quiet. Um, She found that in a one-room cottage here in O'Galley and she rented it. She had a, a pretty good rental agreement and she used that time to fish in the Indian River and to enjoy nature and she put together her folklore stories in a book which was published called Mules and Men.
0: Virginia Lynn Moylan is author of the book Zora Neale Hurston's Final Decade published by University Press of Florida.
6: The book Mules and Men was published in 1935 and was essentially a non-fiction account of Hurston's adventures and experiences as a folklorist and anthropologist in the late 1920s and early 1930s. It's divided into two sections. The first section is devoted to her experiences in Eatonville collecting folklore and includes 70 of her glorious folktales, including why women always take advantage of men. The second section covers the period that she Uh, did research in New Orleans into hoodoo religion and practices and even became a priestess. And the book is important not just from the standpoint of its entertainment value, but it was the first book of folklore that recorded the tales exactly as they were spoken. And today it is still considered the preeminent collection of African-American folklore.
0: 80 years ago, Zora Neale Hurston wrote her best known and much loved work, Their Eyes Were Watching God. Flo Turkot, Lynn Moylan, and N.Y. Nathiri.
5: Their Eyes Were Watching God is just, it's it's history, it's fiction, it's pathos, it's, it's tragedy, all rolled up together in one incredible literary gem. And making history come alive is sort of what what I'd like to do and what Zora that's what excites me so much about Zora is that she she di- she fictionalized real life and said a lot about the human condition and a lot about life in Florida during during her um, stay here.
6: My personal favorite work of Hurston's is by far Their Eyes Are Watching God. You know, it's, a no- it's a beautiful novel it's a love story about a woman who not only finds her true love, but she finds her own inner strength and her voice, and it just doesn't get any better than that.
2: Zora Neale Hurston is a part of my family lore. I did not really understand who she was in the literary uh, realm until I was uh, older. I was actually I actually read *The Eyes of Watching God* when my after our first son was born. Uh, that that book was a penguin classic that cost 99 cents and when I was trying to uh, while my son was napping I would that's how I that's how I read that book i I know Zora Neale Hurston from my my mother's mother uh, telling us about her her uh, companionship with Zora Neale Hurston sometimes uh, scaring me uh, with uh, uh, folk tales from Zora Neale Hurston. Uh, in fact my husband uh, did uh, literary research on Zora Neale Hurston. There were any number of people that were around me over a period of time uh, but I did not truly come to understand who she was until I read that book and um, then began to reconnect some of the, uh, some of the impact that she, that she had.
0: Throughout the 1930s and 40s, Zora Neale Hurston was celebrated as an accomplished and sometimes controversial writer, folklorist, and anthropologist. In 1948, Hurston was devastated when she was falsely accused of molesting the 10-year-old son of her former Harlem landlady. The charges were dismissed and the boy recanted his claims, but Hurston's reputation and career were destroyed. And why in a theory?
2: She was falsely accused of molestation of a a young boy, Um, falsely accused, completely uh, vindicated because she was not in the United States when the alleged abuse occurred or, or crime occurred. But the black press... Um, picked up the story after she was vindicated and uh, really ruined her reputation. Uh, I think that she uh, fled back to her home state.
0: After leaving New York, Hurston lived briefly in Miami and Belle Glade before moving to Brevard County. She moved into the same O'Galley cottage where she had been happy and productive at the beginning of her career. When Hurston was unable to purchase her cottage in O'Galley, she moved to an apartment in Cocoa and then to a trailer on Merritt Island. During this period, she worked as a librarian. Virginia Lynn Moylan.
6: Hurston was fired from Patrick Air Force Base as a technical librarian, basically because she supported a whistleblower um, colleague who had turned in one of the supervisors for uh, destroying documents without going through the proper authorization. So she collected unemployment for a while and finally was offered a job by a man named C.E. Bolin who had founded a newspaper in Fort Pierce called the Fort Pierce Chronicle. So she moved very soon afterward and went to Fort Pierce to take the job in 1957.
0: Sora Neal Hurston died in January 1960 in the St. Lucie County Welfare Home. She was broke, forgotten, and her books were out of print. Florence M. Turcott. She
5: was a ward of the of the of the county, and when she died, her effects thus were ordered burned. They were ordered destroyed. Um, nobody had come forward to claim them. Um, a friend of hers, who was a sheriff's deputy, was going by the nursing home at the time, and stopped and literally doused the flames and uh, saved a bunch of her. Um, manuscripts that were uh, about to be destroyed.
0: Today, Zora Neale Hurston is more popular than ever. Annual festivals in Eatonville and Fort Pierce celebrate her legacy. Hurston's work is taught in high schools and colleges around the world. NY Nathiri.
2: An IB International Baccalaureate uh, teacher of 11th grade students in Hampton, Virginia is planning to uh, bring her students to Eatonville for a field trip. And as we were talking about the planning and the budget, I said, well, will they be uh, doing Disney or Universal? She said, no, (laughs) we're coming to Eatonville. And that's the only reason that we're coming to Florida is coming to Eatonville. And after we do this uh, day, then we will be returning. So it's, uh, it's quite interesting to see that now, if you're going to be educated, you have to have read Zora Neale Hurston.
0: We spoke with Virginia Lynn Moylan, author of the book Zora Neale Hurston's Final Decade, Florence M. Turcott, literary manuscripts archivist at the University of Florida, and N. Y. Nathiri, founding director of the Association to Preserve the Eatonville Community and the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities.
4: The cam got a pistol, he tried to play bad, but I'm gonna take it if he make me mad, shove it over. Hey hey or oh, can't you lie? I shaka like a like a like a like a like a can't you move it? Hey hey, hey or oh, can't you try?
1: Ben Broatmarkle prepared that report. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben DiBiase. Visit us anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org to listen to archived editions of this program, watch our television series Florida Frontiers, and much more. That's myfloridahistory.org.
4: You may leave and go to Harlem Fag, but my slow drag will bring you back. a Well, you may go, but this will bring you back. Ah, I bet in the country would I move to town. I'm a Tolo shaker from my head on down. a Well, you may go, but this will bring you back.
1: Joining us now is Holly Baker, public history coordinator for the Florida Historical Society and manager of the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science in Cocoa. Holly, fans of Zora Neale Hurston were thrilled last year when the book Barracoon, originally written in 1927, was finally published for the first time.
3: Yes, that's right, Ben. Um, Barracoon was a nonfiction book written by Zora Neale Hurston in 1927, and it was based on her interviews with Cujo Lewis, the last surviving victim of the Atlantic slave trade. Barracoon tells Cujo Lewis's life story in his own words, and the title is a reference to the Spanish word for barracks that slaves were kept in before being transported from Africa to America. Cujo Lewis was captured in West Africa and sent to America on a slave ship called the Clotilda, and he eventually ended up in Mobile, Alabama. That's where Zora Hurston met him when he was 87 years old. She um, made a point to record details of his early life in Africa, his experiences uh, in Alabama as a slave, and then after when he was freed. Um, He was a slave for almost six years until after the end of the Civil War in 1865 when a Union soldier approached him and told him he was finally free. And he expressed his confusion in the book about where was he going to go, what was he going to do. It was really interesting to read his perspective of that experience. In 1927, Barracoon failed to find a publisher, in part because it was written in a vernacular language, um, because it was important to Zora Noah Hurston to tell Cujo Lewis's story in his own words. So whenever the publishers um, demanded that she change it, she refused. And so it wasn't published for 87 years until recently.
1: Now, as we heard earlier in the program, Hurston is best known for her novels, particularly Their Eyes Were Watching God. But she was also an anthropologist and collected oral history interviews for the WPA. Is that right?
3: That's right. In the 1930s, during the Great Depression, Hurston worked as a folklorist for the Florida Federal Writers Project. Um, The Federal Writers Project was a program of President Franklin D. Roosevelt's Works Progress Administration, and it was meant to employ out-of-work writers. And while working for the Federal Writers Project, Hurston collected stories, songs, traditions, and histories from African-American communities all across Florida. In 1939, she went to Cross City in Dixie County to record um, interviews, songs, and life stories of turpentine workers. In Jacksonville, she recorded songs in a soup kitchen known as the Clara White Mission. It's still there today. She sang 18 songs herself at the Clara White Mission, mostly work songs and folk songs. And actually, uh, if it hadn't been for Zora Neale Hurston's uh, work as a liaison between the Federal Writers Project, who were mostly white, and the African-American communities in Florida, um, these songs would not have happened because they wouldn't have trusted anyone enough other than Zora Neale Hurston to capture those songs. So they trusted her immensely with their stories, and uh, she recorded them. And actually, it's amazing because these songs still exist, and they can be found online at the Library of Congress and actually the Florida Memory uh, website online as well.
1: Well, let's hear an example of one of those songs. Uh, the first song we're going to hear is Uncle Bud. It was recorded in June of 1939 uh, at the Federal Writers Project offices in Jacksonville. Uh, and this is kind of a typical song that uh, Hurston would have heard when she was interviewing a lot of these African American workers around the state of Florida.
4: Uncle Bud is, is not a white song, it's a sort of social song for amusement. And it's so widely distributed, it's growing all the time by incremental repetition. And it is uh, known all over the South. No matter where you go, you can find verses of Uncle Bud. And uh, it's the favorite song, and the men get to working in every kind of work, and they just yell down on Uncle Bud. And nobody particularly needs it. Everybody puts in his verse when he gets ready. And uh, Uncle Bud grows and grows and grows. What is it sung before the. the, uh Respectable ladies? Never. It's one of those juke songs, and the woman that they sing Uncle Bud in front of is a juke woman. Of course,
5: you heard it from women. Yes, I heard
4: it from women. Yes. I'm going to town, gonna hurry back. Uncle Bud's got something I sure do like. Uncle 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 Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud. Uncle bud got gals long and tall, and the rock fair men from wall to wall. Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud, Uncle Bud. Uncle bud Uncle Bud's got gals long and tall, and the rock fair hips like a cannonball. Uncle bud,
1: Uncle Bud. And I'd like bud, to take a minute to listen to Uncle one more. This is a song that was uh, certainly popular in Florida, but incorporates a lot of Uh, Caribbean themes as well. This song is Evelina that Hurston is performing. Again, this is uh, actually on the same day uh, in June of 1939, and it was recorded at the offices in Jacksonville.
4: Evelina, Evelina You know the baby don't favor me. Hey, 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 you know the baby don't favor me. Evelina Ever don't you tell your mama it belonged to me. Hey, hey, you know the baby don't favor me. Are those songs sung in Florida as well as in the West Indies? Yes, Dr. Kors. Uh, they are sung in Key West and uh, Miami and Palm Beach and out in the Everglades where a great number of Nassau's are working in the bean fields and whatnot. Uh, they're of them in Florida. The whole dances every week.
1: For over 10 years now, the Florida Historical Society has been participating in the Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. This year, people can visit our tent and uh, read about Zora Neale Hurston and see some of the educational displays. But you'll be collecting interviews at the event, right?
3: Yes, that's right, Ben. Um, This is actually my third year um, interviewing folks at the Zora Nohurston Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities. It's a week-long event that celebrates the life and the work of Zora Nohurston, Hurston, and it's held each year in January in Eatonville, Florida. Um, This year is special. It's the 30th Zora Fest, and I'll be there interviewing festival participants for uh, the podcast I work on called Every Tongue Got to Confess. Um, I hope to get a chance to talk to Alice Walker, the author of The Color Purple. She is the um, featured speaker this year and she was actually the uh, first speaker at the first Zora Neale Hurston Festival of the Arts and Humanities 30 years ago. So um, that's going to be very special to me. And also I'm excited because I'm going to interview uh, Deborah G. Plant who was the editor of this Barracoon book and she actually also wrote the introduction to the book. So I have a lot of questions that I wanna ask her.
1: Well, great. Best of luck at the festival, and thank you so much for speaking with us today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Holly Baker is Public History Coordinator for the Florida Historical Society and Manager of the Brevard Museum of History and Natural Science in COCO.
4: Ah, oh, Mobile. Oh, Alabama. Ah, oh, Fort Myers. Ah, oh, in Florida. Ah, oh, let shake it. Ah, oh, let's break it. Ah, oh, let's shake it. Ah, oh, just a half.
1: This is Florida Frontiers. Originally forgotten after her death, the work of Zora Neale Hurston has become a classroom
7: staple. Podcaster and history professor Robert Casanello has more. Jill Jones is a professor of English at Rollins College in Winter Park. I sat down with her to talk about her research on the writings of Zora Neale Hurston. Here's what she had to say.
8: So anybody who's an Americanist is interested in Zora Neale and She uh, crops up again and again. Um, and when I came to Rollins, I realized she had a very specific connection with Rollins College. And I taught some of her work. I was also the editor of the Marjorie Kanan Rawlings Journal of Florida Literature and we got a lot of articles on Marjorie Kinnan Rawlings. We got a lot on Zora Neil Hurston as well. So I started reading more of hers. I got interested in the relationship between Marjorie Canan Rawlings and Zora Neil Hurston. I wrote a very short article on that, I think. At some point I got involved in the Florida Humanities Council's they have a workshop for teachers that's national um, on Zora Neale Hurston, and I got involved in talking about pedagogy and teaching difficult things uh, with Zora Neale Hurston.
7: Here I ask if the location of Rollins College near Eatonville and the college's association with Hurston inspired her to research Hurston's literary legacy.
8: I do love her work and I love some of her offbeat work, but I felt because I was at Rollins, I really fell down the rabbit hole and new, new little Zora Neale Hurston tunnels kept opening up, and they were fascinating. So if I didn't live in Florida, would I have heard Stetson Kennedy and some of those recordings? I don't honestly know if I would have. Um, I certainly wouldn't have been involved in that teaching workshop. That influenced me a lot because I was teaching teachers how to talk about sweat in the classroom, and it's difficult. And some of these teachers were teaching middle school children and we'd talk about the difficulty of teaching dialect and the difficulty of talking about domestic violence and um, gender roles and can you really do that in the public schools Um, and it sort of solidified my belief that if we don't talk about difficult things then we're not really teaching you know we're not teaching at the highest level so I I think I wouldn't have gotten as involved with Zora Neale Hurston as I did probably.
7: I wondered what inspired the writings of Zora Neale Hurston.
8: I think everything that Zora Neale Hurston does is motivated by her love for community. And for her community, and um, and even some of the trouble she gets in politically, I think, um, has to do with her deep respect and love for the community and the sense that it has value already, that you don't have to um, be in Harlem and writing about, you know, art and literature at the highest level, that doing, um, doing the hoochie-coochie on the Jim Crow car, you know, on your way to St. Augustine is already a community and is already a community of great value. So um, I understand it better. I, I understand her love for it, for sure. I
7: asked Professor Jones how she brings Hurston into the classroom.
8: It really depends what I'm teaching of Zora Neale Hurston's. So um, with some of her work, I talk a lot about her actual craft because I think um, Zora Neale Hurston's work looks organic, right? It looks like it just grew that way. I think she's very clever, and she... uh, sort of is a master of narrative tricksterism, if you will. So I really try to get them to see that she's working very hard to make them see things in a certain way and that she has to balance this sort of authority and authenticity in her particular case and some of the strategies, some of the rhetorical strategies she uses to do that.
7: You can hear my entire interview with Jill Jones by going to the podcast, Every Tongue, Got to Confess, or at CommunitiesConference.net. I'm Robert Casanello with Florida Frontiers. You've
1: been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us right here again next week. Until then, you can visit us anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org and join the conversation on Facebook. Also, be sure to stop by the FHS tent at the 30th Annual Zora Festival. Production assistance for Florida Frontiers comes from Robert Casanello and Holly Baker. Our web extras are produced by Jerry Klein. The program is edited by John White. Have a great week. I'm Ben DiBiase, sitting in for Ben Broatmarkle.